This is Brainwaves episode 106. Every two weeks, we bring you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 5th of September, 2022. eBay puts its cards on the table. Kickstarter shakes up its games division. And fandom exits the RPG market. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Over the course of the last couple of years, we have reported many times on the meteoric rise in the sale of Pokemon cards and the often unbelievable valuation of some of the world's most valuable. This trend has not gone unnoticed by internet auction site that takes over everything, eBay. The world's premier auction site has entered into an agreement to buy TCG Player, a marketplace used by collectible card game devotees to buy and sell cards eBay will acquire the company for approximately $295 million, with the deal expected to close in the first quarter of 2023. Dawn Block, the vice president of collectibles at eBay, said, eBay continues to build on our 26 years of experience in trading cards, powering local hobby stores and Main Street retailers to deliver an online destination that collectors love. eBay has always fueled our customers' passion in this space and facilitated connections between buyers and sellers. And with TCG Player, we can enhance the customer experience across categories, forge even more relationships, and cater to enthusiasts around the world. Hedy Hampson, founder and CEO of TCG Player, said of the deal, This new chapter allows us to continue operating independently within eBay, while also benefiting to their decades of industry experience and resources to deepen the connection between hobbyists and their communities. With eBay support, we will advance our purpose and expand our tools and services to improve the collecting experience online and in your favorite local hobby store. According to Board Game Insider podcaster Stephen Bonacor, the employees at TCG Player will share in the spoils of the deal through a share program, which is good and i've got to say yeah ebay it's an unsurprising move and you know it's gonna be a good move for ebay yeah i mean it makes a lot of sense that a lot of people buy and sell cards across ebay anyway so them getting it buying basically a site that specifically does that makes a lot of sense i mean with this and the embracer group purchases recently are we seeing sort do you think we're seeing a sort of rise of interest in tabletop gaming companies outside of the industry, Jamie? Do you think we'll see more of this kind of acquisition going on? Yeah, I will. And I've I've said this before and I'll say it again on this podcast. Um I am might be a bit of a I might be, you know, a baseless worry, but I am still very concerned about the growth of uh monopolies in you know, in the industry. Sure. Yeah, I mean there's there can always be problems with monopolies, but yeah, I mean we're bound to see more of that sort of amalgamation. We've seen it just inside. We've seen it inside the hobby as well, like with games companies buying up each other. So I'm saying, games companies buying up each other. I mean, Embracer Group buying Asmodee, and then a host yeah. of other things. We have. I mean, it's the video game industry, so it's very different. But the attempt of Activision Blizzard to be bought by Microsoft and other companies, you know, that maybe are not being bought by Sony, but are only publishing for them and going. Yeah, and then like the big example there, I guess, is Disney, who just buy everything. Ugh. Indeed. Kickstarter, the crowdfunding platform that is in no small way responsible for the meteoric expansion of the tabletop industry, has been coming under a lot of fire in the last couple of years. From controversial moves by their games lead to potential dalliance with blockchain technology, the company has seemed on the back foot as rivals like GameFound and BackerKit attempt to take a piece of the lucrative tabletop crowdfunding market. 
In order to try and address its woes, Kickstarter has recently employed two new folk on the games side of its business. John Ritter Rederick will become director of games. He comes from a background as a senior outreach lead for Tabletop at Kickstarter, basically meaning he engages with communities to sell services and products. He also has run successful Tabletop Kickstarters through Lay Waste Games and advised on projects like Frosthaven. Joining him is Nicole Amato, who is the new games outreach lead. She has a background in the video games industry and has published four of her own board games, including Resistor through Kickstarter. Both of these hires will be heading up the new games outreach team at Kickstarter. Announcing his appointment on Twitter, John said, Hi, it's me, the new director of games at, at Kickstarter. Yes, it feels weird to have this job. Yes, I will make mistakes. But also, yes, I dearly care about this community and will do everything in my power to ensure Kickstarter is a safe and welcoming space. In an interview with Polygon, he said, My goal at Kickstarter is to pass off the knowledge that I have, and if I don't have the knowledge, get people in touch with those who do. My hope is to kind of make sure that people are as informed as humanly possible, and that will in turn help them be as successful as possible. Polygon asked him to take a stab at convincing tabletop creators of the benefits of Web3 technology, that's blockchain and the like. He declined, saying, I don't think anything is in my role to convince the industry about blockchain. I think I'm here to be an advocate for the industry, so I know that myself and Kickstarter are just dedicated to making the platform better so creatives can bring their projects to life. Precisely how that's going to happen, I don't know, because that's very far out. But I think the communication just needs to be clear and concise from Kickstarter when it happens. Kickstarter is obviously making some moves here to communicate better with the tabletop community specifically. That's definitely a good thing. I do wonder if it's a little bit too little too late, though, Jamie. What do you think with both? I mean, we've seen Backerkit launch with a stratospheric amount of like big board game kickstars in there. Game found is still toddling along and doing okay, maybe not quite as well as it hoped. Well, competition, I think, is always healthy, especially for you know the tabletop market, which has been dominated by Kickstarter. I think it's some some way to go. They're not giving up on they're not giving up on blockchain. Of course, they're not. It may just be a slip of the tongue on John's part, but in relation to the blockchain there, the quote is, when it happens, not if it happens. So read into that what you will. Bandom, the one-stop shop for all things nerdy, has sold its interest in RPGs, selling the Cortex system to Direwolf Digital. Cortex was a system that Fandom bought from Margaret Weiss Productions in 2019. It has been successfully used to bring TV properties to the world of tabletop RPGs, including Firefly, Battlestar Galactica, and Smallville. Fandom continued that trend, bringing the system to He-Man in the Legends of Greyskull RPG and the Dragon Prince animated series in Tales of Zadia RPG. For Direwolf, this will represent the first foray into the world of tabletop RPGs. Now, they are the company behind the very successful Clank series of games and the digital adaptation of Root. In a press statement... Scott Martins, president of Direwolf, said, We're incredibly excited by the prospect of pairing what Cortex and Tales of Zadia have begun with our expertise in creating digital experiences. We're huge fans of the Dragon Prince, and we're looking forward to Season 4 along with everyone else. We're especially excited about working with Wonderstorm on even more great experiences for fans of Tales of Zadia going forward. Justin Santisteven, president and co-founder of Wonderstorm, who owned the rights to the Dragon Prince, said, we always knew the world of Zadia was too big to be explored through our series alone, and crafting Tales of Zadia alongside the Cortex team at Fandom has been a dream come true. We're excited to embark on a new chapter with Direwolf Digital. 
Their experience and passion for tabletop games assures us Zadia is in good hands, and that the Sunfire Chronicle will continue to engage and delight fans of the original TTRPG. I think it was a bit of a surprise for all of us when we found out about fandom's exit. I mean, they did, they're doing very well off wikis, but I guess this was maybe a slight step in the wrong direction for them. Yeah, maybe not as profitable as they hoped. Interesting to see Direwolf pick this up. That's uh, their first step into RPGs, as Jamie said. Do you think we're going to see more tabletop like board game companies go look at the RPG side of the business, Jamie? Because it's growing so much, especially with like with one D and D being announced, with that side of the hobby still growing. Do you think we'll see more companies get into tabletop RPGs? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'd like to be very quickly that Direwolf Digital, yeah, other games that they produced include Dune Imperium. And the digital adaptations include Sagrada, The Fox in the Forest, Munchkin, Everdell, and the Game of Thrones board game. Ah, oh, I need to try the Everdell one. I'm really keen to try that. Out. I really like Everdell. Before we move on to the news proper, a little update regarding Satine Phoenix and Jameson Stone, the D&D power couple who have been accused of multiple accounts of harassment, bullying behaviour, and simply not paying people on time. None of that seems to matter though, because they are apparently trying to carry on regardless. In a recent update to the Sirens Battle of the Bars Kickstarter, which was one of the books they were producing when all this news broke, they started by saying, Satine Phoenix and Jameson Stone here. Thank you for your patience. This has been a very challenging time. We are excited to update you about this project in a transparent way and relay the path forward to finishing Siren's Battle of the Bards. They go on to explain when the book will come out and give a breakdown of an estimated timeline to release the book sometime in late 2023. We'll put links to that in the show notes. I checked out some of the comments after that Kickstarter update went out and they tend towards angry with the company disappointment that the couple are still involved with the project, and bemusement that a product that was apparently almost finished is now going to take a year to reach backers. I mean, personally, if it was me, if I'd backed this project, I would cut my losses and run and just not engage. You're not... I would think it's extremely unlikely this is ever going to come out. They're putting another year on the project. There's all sorts of problems with the company. There's problems with them, obviously. And... Uh, your periodical reminder that Jamie and I give you that Kickstarter is not a store and sometimes you will not get the thing that you paid for. And in this case, do you really want it now? Spelljammer, the space fantasy setting for Dungeons & Dragons, has been revived for the 5th edition. However, a shadow from the game's past has loomed over the recent release of the setting books. One of the races in Spelljammer is the Hadazi, also known as Winged Deck Apes. Simians with skin flaps allowing them to glide a la flying squirrels. They first appeared not in Spelljammer, or indeed any Dungeons & Dragons property, but in another TSR game, Star Frontiers, and that was way back in 1982. Now it's the 80s. Cultural attitudes were rather different than those of uh, the 2020s. Some of this problematic lore around the Hadazi, which many critics have compared to the experience of black people in the United States, including slavery, hunting, and bad treatment, let's say, remains in the recent publication, alongside images that harken back to the minstrel shows of the early and mid-20th century. Yes, some people forget. Minstrel shows were on in the mid-20th century. The material that is available on the Dungeon Masters Guild and DriveThruRPG, which are two online RPG resource shops, have this lore available as well. 
Now, for the older material online, Wizards of the Coast, the owners of the D&D license, always put this content warning on the front. We, Wizards, recognize that some of the legacy content available on this website does not reflect the values of the Dungeons & Dragons franchise today. Some older content may reflect ethnic, racial, and gender prejudice that were commonplace in American society at the time. These depictions were wrong then and are wrong today. This content is presented as it was originally created, because to do otherwise would be the same as claiming these prejudices never existed. Dungeons and Dragons teaches that diversity is a strength, and we strive to make our D&D products as welcoming and inclusive as possible. This part of our work will never end. On September the 2nd, the D&D team put out a statement on the Hadazi. We wanted to acknowledge and own the inclusion of offensive material within our recent Spelljammer Adventures in Space content. We failed you, our players, and our fans, and we are truly sorry. The campaign included a people called the Hadazi, which first appeared in 1982. Regrettably, not all portions of the content relating to the Hadazi were properly vetted before appearing in our most recent release. As we continue to learn and grow through every situation, we recognise that to live our values, we have to do better. Throughout the 50-year history of Dungeons & Dragons, some of the characters in the game have been monstrous and evil, using descriptions that are painfully reminiscent of how real-world groups have been and continue to be denigrated. We understand the urgency of changing how we work to better ensure a more inclusive game. They also say that they're expunging the details from the digital releases. They're going to work extra hard to basically vet these things in the future. And uh, they also say that the future reprint, physical reprints of the book will also expunge that material. Quite a setback, really, for Wizards of the Coast, following a similar situation with the Vistani and Curse of Strad adventure that were reported on. Which was a treatment of Romani people. Yeah. And yeah, it's, they've made as, yeah, so they've made a similar mistake before. They basically apologized in pretty much the same way then. It does speak to an issue with their process and they haven't really changed the internal structure and processes since that incident with Curse of Strad. It's good that they're apologizing. It's good that they're correcting the mistake, but they really need to step up and actually sort the internal process, I think. No, I agree. It's it's over. Well, it's good to see that they're owning their mistake, but they're in the situation where these kind of mistakes kind of probably definitely shouldn't be happening in the first place. I've said a number of times before. I can't remember if I've said it on this podcast, but I'll say it again, which is there is a specter looming over Dungeons and Dragons, and that is Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and if you look at some of the replies to Wizards Apology on Twitter and the like. You can see there's still some fans that don't think they should be apologizing for such things at all and that things should remain the same and never change and that those people should be made, made very clear that they're not welcome. Because, <laughs> no. Ah, horrible. Eagle Griffin Games, publishers of On Mars, Can't Stop, and a large catalogue of other games, has made two new hires. Ken Hill joins the company from Rio Grande Games. He helped develop Beyond the Sun, which is one of my new favourite games. Good job on that. He will take on the role of product development manager and will also be involved in localization of EGG's games worldwide. Scott Tepper comes to the company with over 30 years of customer service and operations experience, 15 of those being within the board game industry. Tepper will fill the role of director of public relations at EGG. Eagle Griffin said of the hires to ICV2, We're very pleased and fortunate to be able to add Ken and Scott to our team. It's rare to be able to hire one, let alone two highly experienced and accomplished executives in the obscure business of board games publishing, and we expect both Ken and Scott to have an immediate and positive impact on both our product development and public relations. Congratulations to both involved. 
Now, of course, you being like, oh, yes, well done there, Ken. Uh, it's not you trying to curry favor with Eagle Griffin and be like, yeah, copy of Beyond the Sun. Any any expansions you might want to do? Want to want to sling them my way? Well, the other tab I have open right now is literally a copy of Beyond the Sun in a, in a shopping basket, which I'm going to buy today. So, yeah, I'd be not. But if you want to send me a, a preview of the expansion that's meant to be coming out and has. Moving on swiftly. Ian, myself, and former host Ian Chandler were all at the return of Tabletop Scotland recently, and I think it's fair to say we had a pretty good time. The show has released some stats and figures, showing a 20% increase in terms of turn style of missions, that is the combined Saturday and Sunday numbers, and a 19% increase in numbers of unique attendees, the total number of individuals at the show. They went on to thank everyone involved in the show and asked attendees to fill out a feedback survey. Now, if you were there, please do so, because it really helps the organisers out, and helpfully make 2023 Tabletop Scotland even better. Now, our report on the show is up on our website at The Giant Brain, and Ian Chandler will be joining us on a special podcast in the not-too-distant future to chat about our experiences at Tabletop Scotland. Congratulations to everybody involved on such a triumphant return. As I said, we had a great time, and long may it continue. Indeed, it was absolutely fantastic. The team did a great job, all the volunteers, everyone who but all the exhibitors who turned up, it just everyone seemed to be having a great time and we were really, really happy to have the con back. And yeah, we're really, really looking forward to 2023. We'll be there again for sure. Now we are going to be starting a new segment on the cast and we're going to start at this episode where we are going to highlight some of the opportunities out there in the industry, be that design competitions, job openings, open calls for submissions and the like. If you have something we should advertise in this segment, then please do get in touch. We're kicking off this one with a position at Aconite Books. That's the fiction publishing arm of Asmodee and they are looking for a marketing publicity coordinator to join their North America team. They will consider remote working, but the intention seems to be that you'd be willing to work out of their HQ in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the United States. In addition to that, we'd also love to hear from you if you are putting on an event of, of any description. What we'd like you to do is maybe record about sort of 20 to 30 seconds pitching the event, like when it's got happening, where it's happening, what it's about. Uh, send that recording to us at giantbrainuk at gmail.com or get in touch through the Discord or Twitter or however else you want to get in touch with us. Send that audio to us and we will give you a little shout out or you'll give yourself a shout out on the cast. Uh, it'd be lovely to hear from some events anywhere in the world. We don't really mind. We've got listeners all over the place. So do send those in to us. We'd also like to take a little moment to give a shout out to our lovely patrons. Thank you so much for continuing to support the cast. Uh, I've recently just used some of that money to uh, renew our Podbean subscription, which is where we host the cast, and also our um, URL as well. So thegiantbrain.co.uk can continue in all its glory. Thank you especially to James Naylor and Sean Newman. Uh, James is the creator of the Magnate board game, and Sean Newman is from the Gamelot team. We'll link to their bits and pieces in the show notes. They're our current executive producers. Uh, you can join them for just $1 a month to get an extended version of the cast and a little preview of what's going on in the coming month. Uh, that will be out by the time this cast goes out. I'll be writing that up, finishing that off today. It's a little late because we were at Tabletop Scotland. <laughs> um, you can also support us in numerous ways on the site, including getting lovely t-shirts from Sir Meeple. We'll put links to all that bits and pieces in the show notes. Uh, we have a board game arena group now, which I didn't realize there's a thing you could do. So if you want to search for the giant brain on board game arena, you can come and join us and play games with ourselves and our community. 
And every Tuesday after the cast goes out, we have an online uh, sort of real-time uh, game. So most of the board game arena stuff's async that we're, we're doing. But on Tuesday nights from 8 o'clock, uh, we have a meetup where we play games of all sorts and types. You'd be most welcome along. So the next one, well, as you're hearing this, will be the day after, well, might be the day after if you're listening on the Monday. So it is the 6th of September. And then yeah. after that will be the 20th. That is quite correct. Yes. Yes, you can correctly add 6 to four, 14 to 6. Well done. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like half past 10 in the morning on a Sunday. My brain is still not entirely engaged, which I'm impressed by considering that we've just done a podcast. Indeed. But uh, I guess finally, that's, I guess, a more successful podcasts have done with less engaged brain good people <laughs> thing. We speak good like. Uh, uh, Tabletop Gaming Live is happening on the 17th and 18th of September in Manchester Victoria Warehouse. Do go along. They have a bunch of previews, including I saw a picture of the other day, the new co-op King of Tokyo will be there. King of Monster Island. King of Monster Island. Yeah, it looks really intriguing. That will be on the Coil Spring game stand, so do let us know what that's like if you check it out. And, and pst, over here. Over here. Warning. Rumor incoming. Warning. Rumor incoming. We've heard a little rumor going around that Hasbro are thinking about selling their entertainment arm E1 in order to refocus its business efforts. This has been postulated in a couple of places that on the upcoming October earnings call, Hasbro are going to announce some sort of change in their structure. There are two possibilities that they're going to refocus E1 on branded content only, or that they will sell it completely. They originally purchased the entertainment company for $4 billion in 2019. And we'll report on that fully if that actually becomes a thing. Well, it's almost time to get out of here. But first of all, Nintendo are best known as purveyors of video games and consoles, with Mario, Pokemon, Legend of Zelda, Metroid, and F-Zero being some of the franchises they still make games for. Or should do in the case of F-Zero. Come on, I need more F-Zero. But Nintendo didn't always dabble in electronics. The Japanese company, based in Kyoto, which is 133 years old this year, started in 1889 as Nintendo Karuta and sold Hanafuda, which is a type of Japanese playing card, and other tabletop games until the 1970s, when they started manufacturing and selling electronic games. And they never looked back. Now, two packs of cards from the 1950s were found and bought recently by Eric Vosquil, who runs the site Before Mario, all about early Nintendo material. Now, these cards were souvenir Kyoto playing cards, with scenes of Nintendo's hometown Kyoto, and were entirely in English. And both the packs were still sealed as well. Sounds great. Sounds like a real interesting piece of history. But then... Well, I'll leave it in Eric's words. However, when I carefully removed part of the wrapper, I quickly discovered that all cards had been completely fused together. They had remained pressed together for such a long time, likely under hot and humid conditions, that the ink on all cards had made them stick together completely. The stack of individual cards had turned into one solid brick. The photo prints on the cards, that contain relatively large amounts of ink, may have contributed to this as well. Now the second pack seems to have suffered the same fate. Now remember, these are all paper cards, because at the time... The ability of laminate cards and plasticated cards wasn't really widely available. It's sad, and Eric did look for suggestions, but he's going to leave it as it is. Not put off, though, and the hunt for unfused cards continues. It's a bit of a shame. 
It is indeed. But since Jamie's not doing his job and bringing us Monopoly news, I found some instead. So to round off, here's some words from an interview with the world Monopoly champion, Niccolo Falcone, in The Guardian recently. You thief! People ask for tips and I tell them to buy three houses on each property when you own a complete set. Also, jail is your enemy at the beginning of the game, but your best friend towards the end. By then, if you go to jail, stay there for as long as possible because you can collect money off your properties, but you don't go around the board paying other players. There are also Monopoly heat maps, which show the places that are landed on the most. Also, read the rules. Knowing them properly will help you win. For example, you can buy and build houses any time between other people's turns, not only when it's your turn. While Monopoly can take hours to finish, the game that got me my world title was over in 47 minutes. That's not because I'm the Maradona Monopoly, but because I know the rules. It shouldn't be a five-hour game. You hear that? It should not be a five-hour game. I realize, I realize I've pretty much blown out the, the uh, mic probably there and Ian's going to get annoyed, but still, it shouldn't be a five-hour game. Uh, and also, amaz- amaz- who'd have thought that a way to get good at Monopoly is to read the rules? Shocked. I mean, it, Monopoly is one of those games, really, that's like almost like chess or draft or something like that. It's like passed down almost the way you play it in your family, this right? Is, this is what I've said. It is a game. It's like Uno. No, I love Uno. Yeah. Uh, my opinions about Monopoly are, well, there's records on this podcast. I'd say it is a game that you do not need to read the rules to learn how to play because it has been passed down through word of mouth. Generation to generation. Yeah, for generations. It's same, I said yeah. the same as chess, same as... Yeah, yeah for sure. Same as uh, Uno and Snap, which has also led to the proliferation of house rules. But yeah. read the rules of Monopoly, for goodness sake. Yeah, because you might find uh, it doesn't take as long as you thought. Also, also, I'm not a... I'm not a Monopoly aficionado. I do believe the orange set, which in the London edition is things like Vine Street and Bow Street, are very good to get. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rain on iTunes or your particular podcast app of choice. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're mostly active on Twitter. You can come and join us in our Discord, where we have a lovely community and we chat about the news, play games, and do all sorts of other bits and pieces. Uh, you can find our website at giantbrain.co.uk and do email us about your events, job opportunities, and the like at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. Thank you very much. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye for now. Bye-bye.